Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. We just thank you for revelation. That's what we're asking for today, revelation. That spiritual things will be revealed to us in a way that will galvanize our Christian walk, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We come to the second part of our mini-series within the larger series um, um, that, that's taking us into God's promises, a journey into the promises of God. Um, we were talking about altars, the power of an altar, and today we, we continue with the power of an altar. Right after the, the, the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel had received the Ten Commandments, and we understand that the Ten Commandments are not some archaic uh, law, that they are absolutely relevant and have application to our lives today once we interpret them in the context of a New Testament church as a foundation on which we build our lives and serve God. Absolutely relevant. Right after that, uh, they received from God the law of the altar. Um, and if you go in your Bibles to Exodus, the 20th chapter, verses 24 to 26, that's where, um, that's our foundation text. Exodus 20, 24 to 26. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. And last week, we ran through what, what we call the character of altars. What are altars? We said altars are a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of prayer, a place of covenant, a place that commemorates an encounter with God, a place of rejoicing, a place of the atonement of sins, a place of rededication of one's life to God, a place for the fire of God to fall, a place of peace, a place where we receive revelation from God and of God, and a place of blessing. And today we just want to continue as we glean from those scriptures uh, how we can activate altars uh, in our lives. Um, altars, of course, are places where sacrifices are made, we said it's a place where the spirit realm and the natural realm make contact. Uh, the heavens kiss the earth. We said it's a bridge that bridges the divide that was created between man and God by sin. Altars are entry points. Now in the instructions that, that uh, the children of Israel were given, there are three things that we must understand that are clear from those instructions. Firstly, God said to them, uh, build the altar of earth. Now, God could have chosen for the altar to be built of anything, but he chose something that was 
that had no value, something that was just there, it just existed, and everybody could have access to it. Now, what was the message in that? The message, and understand this because we're going to talk about how altars apply in for the New Testament believer. The message was God didn't want anything that had pomp, anything that was ornate, anything that was expensive in terms of the artifacts that were used to create the altar. He wanted something that was simple and something that was accessible. In a sense, the message is that the focus is not the altar in, in what it is made of, but the sacrifice of the altar. So an altar of earth. The second thing was an altar of hewn stone. His instruction was, don't use your tools on it. And what was the message in that? That the moment we start to use our tools, we start to chisel the stones and we start to ensure the stones look right, the focus goes away from God to the workman and the skill of the workman. So what was the message? The message was, this altar is all about God. It doesn't draw attention to the work, workman. The message is God does not share his glory with anyone. The focus is on God and on God's provision. There's two instructions. The third instruction was don't go up by the steps to the altar so that your nakedness is not exposed. What is the meaning of that? Well, the, th the answer was simple. You see, if they went up by the steps, then people would see their flesh, the flesh of the priest or those going up to the altar. And so God said, make the altar in a way that people don't have to climb up by the steps and expose their flesh. So what was God saying? A key principle in, around altars is that there is no flesh, no grandstanding. It's not, you know, we're not showing a carnal nature. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves. You know, it is simply about God and everything carnal and everything fleshly, everything that draws attention to man must be put aside as we go to sacrifice on the altar. As the children of Israel took these laws and instituted them, of course, a, a clear limitation arose immediately. And what was the limitation? The limitation was that these altars and the sacrifices on them were limited. They just did not achieve the fullness of what was desired, which ultimately was to erase sin. So all they did was cover in some way the sin, but the sin still remained because the sin was a soul issue. And the altars and the sacrifices didn't address the soul issue. And so the altars were extremely limited, which is why they had to do, do, do the sacrifices over and over again, year after year, month after month, just hoping that somehow this sacrifice will achieve the aim of rectifying what is fundamentally wrong. And unfortunately, that could not be done until our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came. And he came with one sole purpose. His intention was that 
he would become one ultimate sacrifice on one ultimate altar. Two, two trees, rough trees that were taken to make a cross, the altar of the cross, and he would become the ultimate sacrifice. Now, the Bible so eloquently explains this to us in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And please stay with me because revelation that will change our lives is about to come to us. I'm going to go through about 18 verses in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there, there, there still was nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. There was a problem. Sacrifices year after year after year. In a sense, it wet our appetites. It showed us what could be. It gave us a hint of what was ahead. The Bible says it was a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Now, the New Testament church, you and I, we are in the reality. But as we have said on this journey, the Old Testament is a type and a shadow that points us to the reality. And we're going to see that reality. They couldn't experience it despite multiple altars created and multiple sacrifices. But the blessing you and I have that grace has brought our way, unmerited favor, is that we now walk in those blessings if we do what the Spirit of God would have us do. Verse 3 goes on. For if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshippers would have, would have clean consciences. Instead, once was not enough. So by repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshippers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. For what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? The problem was a sin problem. It existed deep in their souls. They couldn't access the full benefits of, of the blessings of God because of that sin issue. They tried their best. Bulls and goats and lambs and, and, and birds were sacrificed. But that deep sin issue that, was, that got into the, the DNA of man as a result of the fall of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, couldn't be removed. And as long as that issue was there, there were limitations. So the altars were very limited. The blood of the bulls and the goats just simply could not do it. Verse 5. So when Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world, hallelujah, he said, this is Jesus speaking, since your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body that I might offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. So I said to you, God, I will be the one to go 
and do your will to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. First, he said, multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice, even though the law required them to be offered. And then he said, God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes, removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces that entire system with the new covenant. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. The, the problem was that God was a holy God. He wanted to bless his people, but there was a sin problem. It existed in their soul. And the Bible says that God desired for that sin problem to be removed. <clears throat> but because he's God, he had to judge the sin. He had to judge. His wrath had to be poured out on the sin. If he did that with humanity, humanity would be wiped out. Humanity tried as best as they could, hoping that a, a lamb without blemish, a bull that was seemingly perfect, would satisfy God. But God's wrath could not be satisfied by mere animals. So the Bible said, says, Jesus said, I will be the one. I will go and do your will to fulfill all that is written about me in the word. And so he came to do that, to bridge that gap between man and God. He came to ensure that the divide was bridged. The door was opened. A relationship could start. We could be reconciled to our father. The, the sin of Adam and Eve in rebellion, he came to ensure that the consequences of that sin, you and I didn't have to bear the consequences of that sin anymore. The Bible goes on, yet every day priests still serve ritually offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that can never take away sin's guilt. But when these priests have offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down on a throne at the right hand of God, waiting until all his whispering enemies are subdued and turned into his footstool. And by this one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. Hallelujah. By his one sacrifice, this, this priest made himself an offering, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By that offering, the Bible calls it the supreme sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. He made us holy and complete for all time. The divide was taken away. The curtain was torn in two. We could come straight into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. The Bible goes on to say, The Holy Spirit confirms this to us by, by this scripture. For the Lord says, Afterwards, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. And then he says, I will not ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds. So if our sins have been forgiven and forgotten, why would we ever need to offer another sacrifice for sin? The ultimate sacrifice has been offered. The perfect sacrifice has been offered. 
There is no need anymore for anyone to offer the sacrifices of animals, the, sac the blood of animals, because the precious blood of Jesus Christ has brought us into a relationship with God. The result of that relationship is that we walk in a new covenant, that God's laws are now embedded in our hearts, his words fastened to our thoughts. Can someone say hallelujah to that truth? It is so exciting. Listen to the way the Message Bible puts verses 12 to 14. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside a, a God, right beside God, and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some imperfect people. A perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done by everyone who takes part in the purifying process. Hallelujah. Now, someone would then say, is, does that mean the season of altars and sacrifices is over? I say absolutely not. It is just that it is a whole new way of doing it in the new covenant. Firstly, it is done on the foundation of the ultimate sacrifice. It is done to the ultimate sacrifice. It is done from the ultimate sacrifice. Secondly, we are given a helper to help us with whatever we sacrifice on the altars that are created so that we follow the word that the Bible says is, is now fastened in our thoughts. We follow that word and we are led by the Spirit as we build altars and we make sacrifices of them. We don't have to make another altar for the sacri to sacrifice on it for our sins. That has been done by God. Grace has been imputed to us. But we now come to New Testament altars where we make New Testament sacrifices. And what, where is this New Testament altar? It is not necessarily a physical place anymore, but the New Testament altar is now in our hearts. The scriptures say, verse 16, I will embed my laws in their hearts as I fasten my word to their thoughts. That's why when you enter the New Testament, the focus shifts from the external to the internal. The internal affects everything externally. The heart becomes the focus, the altar on which we sacrifice. That's why the fulfillment of the law in the New Testament, whether it's the law of adultery or fornication or sexual immorality, the fulfillment of the law, whether it's the law relating to marriage, whether it's the instructions relating to prayer or fasting or giving, the focus moves from the externals to the internal. It's all about the heart. It's about the motive. It's about if you think it in your heart. It's about what is on the altar, the altar of the heart. So the focus for the New Testament believer moves from an external altar to an internal altar, the altar of the hearts. The motives become right. The equivalent of strange fire that Nadab and Abihu offered, profane fire, is where we try to, as I will, as I will show you, where we try 
to give sacrifices on an altar, on the altar of our hearts, but the altar is profane, impure, unholy, full of thoughts that are not of God. Then it is strange fire that comes from that altar. That's why the focus moves to the heart. The instructions from Jesus are very, very simple with regards to giving. It's about the heart, he tells them. It's not the external show. With regards to prayer, it's about the heart. That's why he says, your father sees in secret and rewards you openly. It's all about the heart. With, with regards to fasting, it's about the heart. It's not the external show. It is the state of the heart. And the list goes on and on. The altar for the New Testament believer is now our hearts. And so I want to talk to you about five altars. And, you know, I can share personal stories about how these altars have totally aff affected my, my Christian work. Personal stories about how these altars did exactly what we say is the character of altars. Encounters with God brought God into circumstances. Covenants were made. Let me share with you five altars that we can make sacrifices on. Number one is an altar of praise and worship. Hebrews 13 verse 15. So we no longer offer up a steady stream of blood sacrifices. We don't do that anymore. But through Jesus, we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. These are the lambs we offer from our lips that celebrate his name. Powerful scripture. What was the Bible, what was the Bible saying? We don't offer blood sacrifices anymore, but we do offer sacrifices. The Bible says that they are praise sacrifices, that these praise sacrifices are like lambs that we offer with our lips. You know, if you remember the story where Jesus had the encounter with the woman of, at, at the well, after he had told her about her life, he had received a revelation of her life, he had revelation of her life and he told her. The woman said to him in verses 19 and 20, John the fourth chapter, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Why we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? What was she saying? She was saying the place of worship, the place of the altar of worship, now, we think it is this particular place, a physical place. Uh, but you Jews say it's a physical place in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus brings revelation that tells us that it has moved from physical places. The altar is now in our hearts. He says in verses 23 and 24, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What was he saying? He was saying that it is no longer the physical place. It is the state of your heart. From your heart you worship him. If your heart is in truth, in the truth of the word, then you worship him. And the fire from your heart, the fire of worship and the fire of praise is acceptable. The, the, the fire of praise, the incense that rises from the altar of your heart, as you worship him in spirit and in truth, is received by God. You know, I can share many testimonies as to how 
it, as we have sacrificed and it costs you something. You see, that's why it's a sacrifice. No other bulls, no other lambs, no animals, but sacrifice it must. You sacrifice time, quality time. You, you, you sacrifice sometimes being away from the fray as you devote yourself to God. There is a sacrifice involved. And when you sacrifice on that altar, may God respond. You know, one of my spiritual daughters in the choir, Beatrice, had a, had a vision from God. And I'm not sure she fully understood what she was doing. Um, and the vision was to take an open-top bus and, and, and as they drive around London to just worship God. I knew very clearly that God was leading her to create altars all around, all around London. And those altars would invite God in for the revival that we're believing God for. When she ran into difficulties financially, I didn't hesitate, my wife and I. We put our money into it. We gave some money. We got the church to give some money. We put our own funds into it because we knew that this young girl has, has, has stumbled on a revelation. And as she builds those altars, those altars will form points around the city where the heavens will kiss the city of London. Build altars of praise and worship wherever you can. Let these altars start from your heart. Build them in your homes. Build them in your offices. Carry the altar with you wherever you go. And may God respond and bring his peace, his fire. Uh, may he respond and bring rejoicing to you. Bring covenants that are made in that place. May he respond and bring a blessing to you. Number two, an altar of prayer. The most famous altar of prayer is, take, is seen in Acts the second chapter, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What happened there? They gathered together to pray. They built an altar of prayer. The heavens responded in a way that, has, that caused the birth of the church. And believe me, the altar they built so many thousands of years ago is still the altar on which you and I are running today. May God help you build altars of prayer that will affect generations in your family to come. Of course, it costs them something. It always costs you something to put a sacrifice on an altar. They lock themselves away. They prayed nonstop. And suddenly, the heavens responded to the fire that was coming from the altar of their hearts. There was a visible response. Tongues of fire came from heaven and rested on their heads. May the altar you build in the place of prayer cause the heavens to respond. You know, I always tell the story about how a bunch of us young boys in our late 20s, at the start of our Christian walk, went away and we had only one thing on our minds. We were going to pray until God told us what our future was about. And every single one of us four guys locked ourselves away in a friend's country home 
ate no food and just prayed non-stop, fasting and saying, God, you're a God of purpose. Reveal your purpose to us. And every single one of us, the four guys, God revealed our purpose to us. It was the first time that it was confirmed to me that I was called by God to go into ministry. And straight from there, I came back to London into pastoring Jesus' house. That altar that was built almost 30 years ago is still what I am running on today. May God give you the grace to build altars that will define your life in the place of prayer. It costs something. It costs us hours and hours of waiting. But the thing is that it is not the work. It is the leading of the Spirit. The Spirit of God led us to build that altar of prayer. Number three, an altar of fasting. I always remember until the Redeemed Christian Church of God did its first 100-day fast. It was another church in the country of Nigeria and hardly existent in the world. At the end of that 100-day fast, it was as if a turbo booster had been added to the existing engine. The church literally quadrupled or more in the space of a few years. What do you think happened? Altars of fasting touched the heavens and the result was what we saw. And you know, we spoke about how it is about the heart. It is not the works. It is not the external show. That's why Jesus said, when you fast, you know, dress up, adorn yourself, put oil on yourself. You don't have to let everyone know that you're fasting. Your father will receive the sacrifice in secret and reward you openly. That's why the main scripture that has to do with fasting deals with the attitude of the heart with regards to fasting. Isaiah 58 verse 3 says, We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. They are thinking it is the externals, but God is about to tell them that all that being hard on yourself, your heart is not right. The fire you're trying to raise to me is profane. It is strange because your heart is not right. Don't let's waste our time. If we don't sort out our hearts, a lot of the external actions that we think are the building of altars is really offering profane fire. Listen to what God says. I will tell you why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. It's selfish. It's all about you. It's me, myself, and I. That's all that matters. God says it's all about pleasing yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. You don't show kindness. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? A quarrelsome spirit It's not submitted to God. It's argumentative. It's independent. And yet we think that just by calling a fast, we can trigger a response from heaven. No, it's not magic. It's about a relationship and the heart is key. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me, God says categorically. 
You humble yourselves by going through the motions of, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, external. You bow, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind, external. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes, external. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fast I want. It's all about your heart. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned, justice. Lighten the burden of those who work for you, kindness and compassion. Let the oppressed go free. Again, kindness, compassion. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from your relatives who need help. What is the summation of that? It is not just those actual acts. Those actual acts are examples of a kind heart, a compassionate heart, a merciful heart, a thoughtful heart, a submissive heart, a heart that is dependent on God. And God says, when I see those things, he says, then this is what will happen at the altar of fasting. He says, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call. The Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. You know, you're gossiping, spreading rumors. You're murdering people with your mouth. You're living in iniquity. Your heart is full of iniquity. You're doing things that are not pleasing to God. Then you come to an altar to sacrifice to God. No, it is profane fire. It's an abomination to God. And God cannot receive that strange fire. Show compassion. Show kindness. You know, be considerate to others. Live the Christian life. And then... When you sacrifice on that altar, you will see what God will do. Verses 11 and 12. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. As you sacrifice with the right heart, God says you will be a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. May that be your testimony in your life, in your family, in your community, in your church, in the nation. Number four, an altar of giving. We forget that one of the places that Jesus visited continually was the treasury where offerings were given. In a day where these things are abused and have people who abuse those who are abusing it and they end up abusing themselves. In a day where the enemy is trying, knowing the power that comes from a submission to God in this area, the enemy is trying to create an independence. We have to go back to the word of God. The Bible says in Mark the 12th chapter, verses 41 to 44, an altar of giving. Then he sat down, that's Jesus, near the offering box, watching all the people dropping in their coins. Many of the rich would put in very large sums, but a destitute widow walked up and dropped in two small copper coins worth less than a penny. Jesus called his disciples to gather around and then said to them, I tell you, Revelation, 
is about to come. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given a larger offering than any of the wealthy. For the rich only gave out of their surplus. But she sacrificed out of her poverty and gave to God all that she had to live on, which was everything that she did. She sacrificed. It, was, it cost her something. It wasn't in a natural sense the quantity. Somebody can give a million pounds, but the person has a hundred million pounds. Somebody can give 10 pounds and the person has 15 pounds. In the mathematics of heaven, the 10 pounds is weightier than the million pounds because in comparison to what the person has, what God has blessed them with, it is weightier. You know, I can tell you how altars of giving have affected my whole Christian walk. I understand the altar of giving. You know, 26 years ago, thereabouts, when this church started, when it started, we had a lot of money relative to those times. We brought in money from Nigeria to start the church. So we did things with a bang. You know, we created a bit of noise, you know. But of course, because there was no steady source of income, the money ran out and there was no money coming from anywhere. So we entered challenging times financially. Times that made me ask God, did you send me on this message? Because God never orders something without making provision to pay for it. And in the midst of that prayer that we were praying, things were tight and stretched. We, we didn't pay salaries. We just didn't have money. And yet God had given us a vision, a vision that some of you are now a part of 26 years later. In the midst of that, one morning I was praying and the Lord said to me, my son, and he named the man of God, is in the city. Take everything that you have, yourself and the church, and go and sow it into his life. I didn't have a relationship with this man of God. He happened to be a, a, a spiritual son, uh, uh, older than me, but spiritual son of our general overseer. Um, you know, they, have, they have a close relationship, but I didn't know him. I, I'd never met him before then. But I did find out that he was in town. I managed to get a number and I called him. I introduced myself and said I wanted to come and see him. I'm sure he wondered what it was about. When I arrived there at a hotel somewhere in the Docklands, it's been knocked down now, um, but it was a hotel somewhere in the Docklands. I think it was the Thistle Hotel. I arrived there and went up to his suite. There were a group of people with him, some of his, some attendants and some, some ministers. I'm not sure who they were. And as I walked in and saw him sitting down, I burst into tears. I cried like I had, like I was grieving. I just cried. I cried. There's a sophisticated crying and there's crying. There's a crying that is guttural and animal-like. That's how I was crying. I was vibrating and shaking and just crying. So the man looked at me and thought something terrible has happened. And so he's asked everybody to exclude him. 
with tears and snot streaming down my face. I didn't know what was happening. Why are you crying? You want to bless someone, you're crying. What kind of madness is this? I couldn't stop myself. I was just shaking and just crying. And I gave him, I said, this is all we have. This is all we have as a church. This is all I have. And I gave him. It wasn't much then. It wasn't much, but it was everything. We were skilled. I gave it to him. So I could see the look of shock on his face. Is this why all this crying like this? Just to come and bless me? So he said, kneel down. And then he prayed for me. I can tell you who the person is. It was Bishop Oyedepo. I didn't have a relationship with him then. I just knew who he is. He prayed for me. He prayed from inside himself. And one of the prayers he prayed was that because of this seed, this ministry will never lack. And he prayed for me personally. Listen, I can tell you categorically that there is no need we have had as a ministry that God has not met supernaturally. And it came because of that altar. All that crying was because spiritual things were happening as the sacrifice was being received. I wish I could tell you more stories. I can tell you another one. Because these altars, I understand how they work. I walked into the restroom in Jesus' house. We were hosting the Evangelical Alliance. So there were loads of ministers, evangelical ministers in Jesus' house. And I walked in. And there was an old man at the urinal. And I recognized him because these are fathers of the faith. And when I came into England, came back to England after school to come back for ministry, these were the, fa these were the people, fathers of the faith. But he's in his 80s now, late 80s. And he was doing what men do at the urinal. So I finished. And as I was finishing, the Spirit of God said to me, you and your wife, you need to go and meet him and his wife for them to pray for you. So I waited. When he finished, I said to him, sir, I introduced myself. So I, I know you. I know you very well. I said, sir, please, is it okay if my wife and I visit you and your wife at, at your convenience? He said to me, oh, I should come with him. That He, he, he cracked a joke about his age and he doesn't, he doesn't keep diaries. His wife keeps all the diaries and she's in church. So we walked into our Red Sea corridor and I met the wife. I said, we'd just like to come and see you. So she said she'll be in touch and she was. She gave us an appointment. So my wife and I, you know, bought a massive hamper um, from a lovely shop and took it to them and went there. We just thought we were going there, they'll pray for us. At that point in time, there were a series of prayer points we had. Prayer points to do with the church, prayer points to do with people who were believing God for healing, especially someone that was close to us who were believing God for that person's healing. So when we got there, we gave them the gifts. It was as if God sent us there for these people to give us revelation about the city. They told us some amazing things. They told us about how to deal with the power of witchcraft. I sat there in the home of this elderly Caucasian couple. They revealed spiritual warfare to us, told us all kinds of witchcraft that is going on in the city and the nation, then told us how he has been praying for us for for more than 40 years before I even came. And that when I came, he knew that's one of the people you've been praying for. An amazing day. Shola and I 
we will never forget that day in our lives. And then they prayed for us, simple prayer, and we left. As soon as I got home, two, two, two days later, the Lord said to me, take some money, sow into his life. And the testimony he told you about how this, the young man that they prayed for his son was healed, sow into that son's life. And then God told me that from now on, you give into that man and his wife's life regularly. And so guess what? I obeyed. So I got ready what he told me to sow. And I sent it to them. You know, the devil is very interesting. The check, I wrote the check on a checkbook that I had lost and I had canceled. So of course, when the checks got to them, they put into the bank, the banks rejected the checks. Very embarrassing. But they're good people. So they got back to us to say, oh, you know, something must have happened. I said, Satan, you cannot steal what I'm believing God for. This altar, I'm going to raise this altar of giving. I apologize. Long letter, sent the other checks. I'm not exaggerating. The things we were believing God for, Believe me, including the healing that we were believing God for, the person who was standing in the gap, everything turned from the time I sowed that seed. It was an altar of giving. And I understood that this is an altar of giving. And the last thing is an altar of thanksgiving. Psalms 50 verse 14. Why don't you bring me the sacrifices I desire? Bring me your true and sincere thanks and show your gratitude by keeping your promises to me, the Most High. What does God say? Give me the sacrifices I desire. One of the sacrifices I desire is thanksgiving. Build altars of thanksgiving. You know, the power in an altar of thanksgiving. And the Bible makes it clear to us how significant this is to God. Jesus, when the 10 lepers are healed and only one comes back, we hear his cry, where are the nine? Thanksgiving matters to God. It's, it's an altar that God loves the incense of. It is an altar that God looks forward to when people say thank you. Don't say thank you in a perfunctory manner. No, learn from the leper. He fell on the ground. He raised his voice with a loud voice. He said, thank you. Learn to pay the price to say thank you. It's okay to say thank you to me in one word. But for God, find time to say thank you. Find time to do your own Thanksgiving service. Don't wait for once a month in Jesus' house. Find time to sacrifice songs of thanksgiving to him. To do things, actions as they are you're led by the Spirit that are part of the thanksgiving to him. He says, bring me the sacrifices I desire. Bring me your true and sincere thanks. And I could tell you stories of how things have pivoted simply by thanksgiving. And you know, let me share this with you. Because we are people who operate by seeing things that be not as if they are, and declaring those things until they come. Principle we learned from God at the beginning of creation. God said, let there be and there was. When you thank God in advance for something, it reaches a point where there is a combustion between the natural and the spiritual. The heavens kiss the earth. 
there is an entry point where the spiritual blessings that have been stored in heavenly places become material. They translate into the material realm and we receive it. Create those altars of thanksgiving. Thank him for that thing that is ahead. Join me to thank him for a revival in this nation. Thank him for the turnaround in your family. Call your family together. Paint the picture of what you see and thank him as if it has happened. Hold the child in your hand and dance around in your house. You can be a fool for yourself. You, no, it doesn't matter. Be a fool for yourself. It doesn't matter. You know, I always share the story that when I got, when I got my Minister of Religion visa, they said, said it was impossible to get it in those days. But God told me, you're a minister to England, not to go on holiday. You have visas to go on holiday. You've been at school there. But minister, so I, I wasn't going to come in any dodgy way, minister of religion. They said to me, don't go near the British Embassy in Nigeria. They don't give it. Believe me. And this is a true story. When we finished in the country home and God told me, this is your call. In that country home, God said to me, go to the embassy. Is God, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. I was following instructions. The night before I went, I had an appointment. They told me this thing has never been given. Send me to anybody out of Nigeria as far as we know by then. I, I, I'm told I was the first person by then to have received this particular visa that allows us to minister. So the night before, I get woken up by God. It's a true story. I'm not sure if I've told this publicly. And the Lord says to me, Take your passport, put it on the table, dance around that table and just be thanking me. It's a very foolish thing. Thank God I was alone. There was nobody, 4 a.m. in my house. Because, you know, the, the way spiritual things work, people who are intelligent and natural, they want to make you look foolish. But I say to people, but these new age people, they do a lot of foolish things. They bay at the moon. Huh? Nobody says they're unintelligent. Oprah and all these people that, do, that follow all these new age things. Nobody said that. So allow me to dance around my table. Fortunately, it was inside my house. So I started dancing, dancing. After a while, the dancing got really intense. I was thanking God, thanking God for my future. Who, how could I have known that I was thanking God for the privilege of serving you the way I'm serving you today? 26 years later. How could I have known? I was thanking God, thanking God. And then at one point, God said to me, it's enough. Take your visa. They are waiting for you at the embassy. So I went to the embassy, true story. When I got there, they say, they say you should line up. Everybody was trying to avoid one booth. That's the booth they said that Guruku should go to. Because the people who were coming out, it was obvious that they had met an interesting human being in there. When I got there, I walked in. The woman, it's a true story, the woman took my passport looked at it, said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to pastor a church. Um, she says, your, your passport so that you've been there for a long while. I said, I went to school, but I came back to Nigeria. I wanted to come back to Nigeria. I didn't want to stay in England, but I'm going to pastor a church now. She says, okay, sit down. Now that sit down, I thought was sit down and wait for the interview because they told me there'll be an interview. Next thing she comes back and says, you have a wife and a son. Are they going with you? I said, yes. That's why I brought their passports as well. She said, okay, give me one minute. This is a true story. Next thing, she comes back. 
She says, your visas will be ready. Pick them up. I think she said on Wednesday. That's it. That principality over. That challenge over. Why? Because I was in God's will, submitted to his will, wanting to do what he wanted me to do. And the thanksgiving had caused the heavens to come and intervene in an earthly matter. Learn to thank God. Pour out yourself in thanksgiving. As long as he has said it, thank him like it has happened. Build an altar of thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, God, and we bless you. May God help us to build these altars. Altars of worship. Altars of prayer. Altars of fasting. Altars of giving. And altars of thanksgiving. I could share personal stories. But believe me, I think I've already overrun my time. Because in this area... I have seen God move. May the grace to build those altars on the back of the ultimate altar, the supreme sacrifice, may that grace come upon you. That's why there was that sacrifice. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you haven't received that supreme sacrifice, the perfect one, gave himself for imperfect people to make them perfect because they could never be perfect themselves. You want to receive him into your life. And then he gives you a helper to show you what to sacrifice, how to sacrifice, when to sacrifice on those altars. He gives you a helper to help, help you perfect the building of the altar of your heart. His name is the Holy Spirit. You haven't any of these. You don't have him because you haven't accepted his son as Lord and Savior. Do you want to do that this morning? That's what gives us the... We wake up every day with an assurance that we are more than conquerors. We are victorious irrespective of the storms of life. The assurance comes because we are his. You can receive the same assurance. If you want to do so, would you just say this prayer with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation. I receive today that ultimate sacrifice that was made for me, your son, Jesus Christ. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I commit myself to turning away from anything sinful as I embrace a life in you, Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, Please come and be my helper on this journey. I declare that I am now washed in the blood of Jesus, born again. I am now a child of yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Now, if you said that prayer, we want you to virtually put up your hands so that we can celebrate with you uh, and we can join in praying for you and so if you look in the chat box you will see uh, um, a cloud that says uh, that as you press it says you you've put up your hand please press that now press that now put up your hand please press that press that press that it allows us to celebrate with you allows us to start to pray for you as you start this journey please press that God bless you. God bless you as you do so. God bless you. Welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Please go and build some 
awesome altars of worship, of prayer, of fasting, of giving, and of thanksgiving. And may the Spirit of God purify our hearts so that the fire that goes from our hearts is not profane and is not strange, but it is fire that is pleasing to God. Hallelujah. God bless you.